Hear the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Cyrus and dragged him them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he, took them the, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with, in, with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is the word of the Lord. If you would, pray with me. Lord, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word, that even now through your spirit it would begin doing its work. You would begin doing your work. You would begin changing lives, transforming them to look more like Jesus. Lord, we worship you. 
We were praying earlier just how we, uh, we use the words Lord and we use the words Christ and they just flow off our lips, often missing our heart. And I pray, God, in this moment, you would make those real terms. That when we declare that you are Lord Jesus and that you are Jesus Christ the King, that would resonate with us a resounding yes. God, we need to hear from you. Right now in this moment, I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. We just read three different conversion stories. Uh, And this is somewhat unusual. If you've been uh, following along through Acts, if you just read through Acts in one setting, you, you realize that Luke doesn't normally give you individual conversion stories. They're scattered here and about, but usually you go into a town and you find the phrase something like, and many believed, or um, the Lord added many to their number. But not here. Here, uh, Luke gives us three very detailed conversion stories. I think he does this for a number of reasons. One, he wants to remind us of the joy that the gospel brings to those individual individuals. And he wants to show us the changed lives that happen when we proclaim the gospel and God converts people. We get to see rebirth here. People are reborn. And when you're reading through this, a question that I kept asking is, why these three, though? Because many people in the city of Philippi, which is where we're at, many people were converted. But but Luke pulls out these three people and And he wants to make sure that we hear from them, hear their stories. He brings out a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. Three very different people with three different conversion stories. Um, And what I think he's doing here is he he wants to show us that the gospel is for everyone. No one is excluded from the gospel. If if you remember last week, we looked at uh, Acts 15, we looked at the Jerusalem Council Um, And there they discerned that Jesus was forming a people for himself that would be Jews and Gentiles. And that that you did not have to be a Jew in order to become a Christian. But that the gospel and the kingship of Jesus was for all people. And what I think is happening here in Luke chapter 16 is, is Luke is hammering this point in. And so he highlights these three conversion stories. Um... I was able to find there's actually an ancient Jewish prayer. Um, it's still used today in the uh, Jewish prayer book, the Siddur. Um, it's a prayer that is said by Jewish men every morning. And as a Jewish male, the pre-converted Paul would have said this every morning as well. And it goes like this. Praised are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. There's also a lot of little chat rooms out there wanting wanting that removed from the prayer book, finding it offensive to our modern culture. Uh, uh, But Jewish males would wake up and they would would pray and they say, God, thank you for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And here... The very people that Luke brings out to to highlight their conversion 
are the three people that every Jewish man prayed and thanked God that they were not. I think this is what Luke is highlighting for us. And more than just that the gospel's for everybody, he wants to say that the gospel is for every culture. The gospel is for the religious and for the irreligious. It's for the moral, it's for the immoral, it's for the educated, it's for the uneducated, it is for the rich, it is for the poor, it is for every person. And you can see this when we look at actually the, uh, I guess you would call it the epicenter of Christianity over the last 2,000 years. And it's hard to put Christianity in a box. You have Christianity starting in Jerusalem, and that's its epicenter. And then it goes to North Africa, becomes its epicenter. And then it goes over to Europe, that becomes its epicenter. Then it goes over to North America, and that becomes the center of Christianity. And then it goes to Latin America, and now it's going into Africa. And most people think that the next wave, the epicenter of Christianity, will be in China and in Asia. And so you see that Christianity is not tied to any culture. But it's moved within every country and with every culture freely. And and some of the places that have been the epicenter of Christianity have been very affluent, very powerful. And some have been uh, very poor and third world and have no world affluence whatsoever. But Christianity works in both. I, I, I hope for those of you who are not a Christian, and you think Christianity simply isn't for you, I I hope you find hope in that. There is no such thing as what you would call a predisposed uh, Christian type. You have to look this way in order to become a Christian. Not at all. And I think Luke is dismantling that idea before our eyes. Let's look at the three conversion stories here. Um, See what they teach us about the nature of conversion and how the gospel reaches everyone individually. The first conversion is a woman named Lydia. Um, Upon arriving in Philippi, the first thing Paul does is he goes to the place of prayer, which was by a river. Um, You needed that so you could do your ritualistic washings. and, And so he goes there and he meets a woman named Lydia. And we, we know several things about her. Um, she is from the city of Tharatara, which means she was likely Asian. Um, Tharatara actually belonged to the ancient kingdom of Lydia. And, and most scholars think that really her name isn't Lydia. She's just known as the Lydian lady. She, she's known as that foreigner. That, that, that's the lady from Lydia. And so people would call her that. She's wealthy. She's extremely successful. We know this because she owns her own home. She owns her own business. She's a seller of purple goods, which was a very expensive fabric. You can also tell that she's a take charge kind of woman. I mean, she tells Paul and Silas, no, come to my house. And they really want to get on the road. And they're like, no, we're going to leave. And she goes, no, you will come and stay at my house. It says she prevailed. She's a very strong-willed woman used to getting her own way. If you want to put a contemporary face on Lydia, picture a successful, independent fashion designer. Um, Someone who... Uh, who is from Paris and for some reason has moved here to Birmingham. 
to, to set up a shop in, and so she has a really nice home in Mountain Brook. She likely has, you know, a lake house or maybe a, a house back in Paris as well. She's, uh, she's obviously different because she speaks with an accent, and so people just call her, you know, that uh, French woman. That French, have you been to that French woman's boutique? You know, that's what she was known as. That's Lydia. We also know that Lydia was spiritually seeking because she was a worshiper of God. This is a technical term, worshiper of God. It actually describes uh, someone who's kind of a quasi-Jew. They're they, they reading the Hebrew scriptures. They're going, uh, observing the Sabbath, but they haven't fully converted. That's, that's what a worshiper of God is. And that's what she is. And so... Paul comes to this place of prayer, and he opens up the Hebrew Scriptures. And likely, he's walking through the Hebrew Scriptures, and he tells how Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. That the sacrificial system points to Jesus. That the law points to Jesus. That the prophets point to Jesus. And this registers with her. It makes sense. It just clicks. The Lord opens her heart, and she responds. Notice Paul takes the initiative and he shares, but it's the Lord who saves her. The Lord who, who gives her that understanding and opens the heart. And she's converted. Um, I, I've seen this happen several times. Uh, I have shared the gospel with people over the course of years. I'm thinking of one friend in particular and just share the gospel, share the gospel. Nothing, 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 nothing. And then one time, and it would, I guarantee it was not the presentation, God just opened a heart. Just opened a heart. And responded, and I was so shocked by it. I didn't even know how to say, really? <laughs> really? I said, I, I'd like to pray now. God can do that. Paul essentially leads this person to the Lord by having a Bible study. That's it. Has a Bible study. She comes to know the Lord. Um, immediately she puts uh, her new spiritual gift of hospitality to work. Uh, next we find somebody um, who could not be any more different than Lydia. She's a slave girl. She's also demon-possessed. Um, we don't know her nationality since she was a slave. She could have been from anywhere. We, we don't know. Um, she actually has two masters, you know, because she's a slave, but she's also demon-possessed. So there is a spirit that is master over her. Um, when you look at verse 16, and it says that she has the spirit of divination, that word divination is pythona, which literally means she has the spirit of the python. That just freaks me out and scares me when I hear that. She's got the spirit of the python, or a pythonian spirit in her. And that's her master. And so she has two masters. She has zero freedom. If you want to picture her today, perhaps picture a prostitute out on First Avenue North um, who is enslaved, in a sense, to her, her pimp and to the will of others. Maybe picture a, a homeless person who is an addict and is enslaved to their next hit. Polar opposites from Lydia. So how does this person come to know Jesus? 
Well, she immediately recognizes Paul as being a servant of the Most High God and proclaiming the way of salvation. And so she begins yelling this, screaming this. I'm sure she's just like a mad woman here as she's, as she's screaming this out. Um, this is what Jesus would encounter time and time again when he would come across demon-possessed people. They would scream out, I know who you are. You're the son of the Most High God. And, and they would just scream. Now, this is true what she is saying, but, but you have to understand there's no delight in this for her. It's not like she's praising God here. There's, there's no delight. There's just gall and there's just bitterness here. She might understand that they're proclaiming the way to salvation, but she doesn't at all think it is for her. Not at all. And so if you were to compare this girl with Lydia, I actually think she understands the gospel. She understands the Lord more than Lydia did. But she's further away. She's not free to delight in these truths. And so how does Paul deal with her? Um, Does he have a Bible study with her? You know, with a woman like this, you know, worked with Lydia. So let's have a little Bible study here. Um, here's here's mis- mere Christianity or reason for God. Let's, let's read this and go to get some coffee and discuss this. He can't do this with a woman like this. For her, the gospel has to come into her life in a display of power that is going to free her from the things that are enslaving her. So the gospel has to come forth in power to free her first. She is oppressed. She cannot hear or delight in the gospel unless she is freed. And this is how the gospel has to come to people like her today. Um, If you take the gospel to those who are oppressed, um, you have to first take on those powers that are oppressing them. I can almost guarantee that a prostitute on First Avenue North, this past week, Lauren and Caroline and Natalie, First Avenue North, and they're right next to a prostitute that's there. Car pulls up, she gets in, leaves, um, had to have some conversations um, about you know, wh- what's going on here. But I guarantee you that that woman knows about Jesus. I can almost guarantee you that. I can almost guarantee you that she could tell you what the gospel is. I can also guarantee you that she probably has bitterness and hurt every time she sees some well-put-together Christian wearing their best going into church. Because she thinks, all right, yes, that, that's a truth for you. Yes, that works for you. But my life sucks. And there is no way that that, that way of truth or that salvation can come to me. I bet she feels that. And so there's this bitterness and there's this gall, even though she actually understands a lot of the truth. And so in order to reach someone like this, you have to take on the powers that control her. To take, we've got to take on the social injustices. We have to take on the powers of poverty, take on the poor educational systems in order for those who are oppressed to actually be able to see Jesus. The power of God in our lives needs to go forth and demolish the powers that are at work in their lives. Handing out a track, can you, can you imagine? Here's, here's, that's not going to cut it. 
It's not going to cut it for someone like this. Well, the result of this girl's conversion is that Paul and Silas are thrown in prison. Um, I mean, you attack the pocketbook, which is what happened there, the God of almost everybody. So they're going to come up with some kind of charge, and they're going to throw Paul and Silas in prison. And it's here we meet the final convert, the jailer. The jailer would have likely been a retired Roman soldier, because all jailers were at this time. Um, He was a Gentile, obviously. He's Roman. Being a jailer is a, a... It's a decent-paying job. He's not making as much as Lydia, but he is certainly not as bad off as the slave girl. Um, He's probably, well, he is. He's cruel. He's hardened. He's likely racist, or at least somewhat racist, because um, he was merely asked to put Paul and Silas in prison, but notice what he does. He puts them in the innermost cell. That means he's going to put them in a room where there's no light. And then he puts their feet in stocks. He tortures them. Uh, torture is, is going way beyond what should be allowed for such a trivial offense here. So, so he's cruel to them. Maybe it's because they were ethnic Jews and, and he did not like that. If you want to picture this man's contemporary, at least in my mind, I picture a, a middle class Blue-collar worker, rough around the edges. He works hard, somewhat racist, dislikes people who doesn't share his views. And I think of all three of the people here, he is the one who is most resistant to the gospel, probably the one that we most readily know. Um, Because he's not at all like Lydia, he's not spiritually seeking He's not, he's not oppressed. He's just kind of almost somewhat content in life and just kind of one foot in front of the other going along. Uh, he honestly is just indifferent and could care less. You, you bring up a religious conversation with him and pff, that's it. That's probably the reaction you will get as he, as he moves on. He, he just wants to clock in his hours so he could go home, sit in front of the TV, open a beer, and not think about anything. That's, that's the kind of guy he is. So how does the gospel reach somebody like this? Two ways. First, the gospel reaches the jailer through songs in the night. Songs in the night. Paul and Silas have just been beaten to an inch of their life. They are They're bleeding, they're put in stocks, which means their legs are spread way apart and they're likely cramping up. Um, They're in total darkness. Yet, instead of the jailer hearing the sounds of weeping or moaning, he actually hears singing. Singing hymns, we're singing about these great truths about God. And, And I bet that this was fascinating and infuriating to this guard. I bet it was both. He's fascinated because he's never seen anything like this. Um, Because Paul and Silas have no reason to sing. There's no reason to be joyful. I mean, joy comes from being able to do what you want when you want to do it. It comes from being free. It comes from having good health. It comes from having power. It comes from being in control. It comes from all the things that he has. 
And he has denied all those things to these people, and yet they are still singing. And so he had to be fascinated by that. But at the same time, I bet he was infuriated because he didn't have any power over them. And he's doing his worst to these people, and yet it's having zero effect. He can't do anything to take away their joy. And so this begins to have an incredible impact on him, as we will see. I think as he's hearing this, he's trying to find a place where he could categorize this in his brain. He's like, no, none of this makes sense to me. We have two people who are tortured, and they're joyful. The second way that the gospel comes to him is through the earthquake. Um, God sends an earthquake, unlocks the prison doors. Um, If just one prisoner escaped, just one, the guard would have been executed. We've already seen this as we've gone through Acts and Acts chapter 12. Um, when Peter escaped, well, rejoicing, yay, Peter escaped. And then there's a little note of the bomb. They took off all the, the guards all away and they executed all of them. That was the law of the land. If you allowed a prisoner to escape, you were to be killed. And so the guard, I mean, he sees the prison doors are unlocked. And so, of course, you're going to assume, okay, the two people I just tortured are likely out of here. And so he pulls out his sword, and he's about to fall on it. And right when he's about to fall on his sword, he hears just Paul crying out, hey, hey, we're in here. Don't do it. We're still here. Total disbelief. This this is incredible. Paul and Silas were tortured by this man, and now they can actually repay him for his cruelty. I mean, he had them in his power, and now the tables are turned. They have him in their power. Yet they repay evil with good, hate with love. They show compassion to somebody who only showed them cruelty. And look at the jailer's reaction. I mean, the moment that happens, he falls to his knees and says, What must I do to be saved? What do I have to do? Paul doesn't give him like this long laundry list. Well, for starters, you know, goes he just says believe. There you go. You want to be saved? Believe. Now, a Bible study would not reach this guy. Try asking him to church. Try try asking him to go through. uh, whatever new studies out there. He's not going to do it. Um, He doesn't need to be freed from anything that's oppressing him. The gospel has to come to him in a unique way, and it just has to be demonstrated through love in the midst of hate, joy in the midst of suffering. And so they modeled the gospel for this guy, and his hard heart just melted. Paul and Silas were able to do this, I think, stay in jail because really they've been freed from a far greater thing. They've been freed from sin. They have been freed from death. And so really, they're the ones who are free, even though they were in prison. And they realize that. So they stay there. Now, when the jailer is converted, 
Look at the change in him. Maybe you know some, I know some people like this who were just rough and just tough and just could care less. And the gospel changes them and they become a little teddy bear. I mean, the guy becomes a little teddy bear. He just he immediately starts washing their wounds personally. doesn't get a servant. To, he's personally washing their wounds. He invites them to his house, fix some dinner, introduces them to the family. You just see this radical transformation happen in his life immediately. And can I just point out a little, a little principle here that I think as Christians we should take away about reaching the jailer. If ever you can receive more pain than you give, you communicate the gospel in some way. Let me just briefly unpack that. This, this especially makes sense if, if you're a boss or if you have people working underneath you. If you have people working underneath you, there are going to be times that you have to dish out a little pain. It's inevitable. Do your job. You, are, you didn't do this. You, know, you're, you might have to dot pay at times or something. You're going to cause some pain. But there's also times if, if you're a boss or you're over somebody that you can easily, easily pass blame to them. When somebody accuses you of something or somebody says something harsh to you about it, you could be like, it wasn't me, it was, it was this person. And they have to take it because they're your inferior. But let me tell you, if you consistently absorb that pain, even at times something that really was their fault, something that really should go to them, and you absorb it, I guarantee you they're going to be like, why? Why do you do that? That suffering was for me, and you willingly took it on. Why? And you get the chance to just unpack the gospel for them and say, you know what, it's because Jesus took the hit for me, and so I could take it for you, all right? He's changed my life. And just as a general rule, if you begin taking on more pain than, it, than you have to give at times, it points to Jesus. Now, these three people here, Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer, could not have been any more different. They were different socially, racially, economically, religiously, philosophically. I mean, there's pretty much a case study on conversion right here. And yet the gospel changes them all. Luke tells us that, you know, we, we at least know Lydia and the jailer were both immediately baptized. And there's, there's a lot you could say about baptism. But the heart of baptism is identification. It's when you're saying, I wash off my old life and I want to be identified with my new life in Christ. So, that, so they're washing that I'm no longer this person. I, I've been reborn and I'm in Christ. New people. And I want you to hear how Paul describes this in Galatians 3.28. And I hope... I hope you hear this in a new light this time. Paul says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized in Christ, have put on Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. 
All he is doing there is just unpacking Acts 16 for you. And saying that Christ changes everyone. There's no predisposed Christian type. The gospel reaches everyone wherever they are and transforms their lives. Pray with me. Lord, for those here who don't know you, I think the gospel's not for them. I ask that you would, in this moment, speak into their heart like Lydia opened their heart. Like the slave girl tear down whatever power is over them. And like the jailer, may they, may they look around and they may actually see your gospel being displayed in all the lives around them. God, I thank you for conversion and how you've taken what was once dead and you've made it alive through the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.